0: Welcome to Stuff Ian Likes, the podcast about stuff that Ian likes. My name's Ian Banks. I'm using this podcast to look at how some of my favourite pieces of art have changed the way I look at the world. It explores how art can affect the way we look at things around us, and it's a chance for me to go squee over things that I love. I'm not going to do a deep dive into the background of each piece. What you're going to get is a brief survey of what it is, what I like about it, and how it's influenced me in my own thinking. Thanks for joining me. Let's imagine a world in which television corporations control the news and the way in which people partake of information, or a world where children kill one another in their schools and nothing is done to prevent it, or where police chases are televised, or where people feel closer to characters and actors in bland television programs broadcast onto television screens the size of walls than they do to their own families, or where suicide attempts are treated as routine and time-consuming, or where people who question the status quo are treated as undesirable elements, or where a knowledge of literature, history, philosophy, or ethics is condemned as being difficult and elitist. I mean, it'd have to be a science fiction scenario, wouldn't it? Because let's face it, that would never happen in our world, could it? I first read Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury in 1984. I hope you heard what I did there. And I was amazed at the writing and at the lyrical clarity of the words that Bradbury put onto the page and by the excitement of the story. But for a lot of it, I I really felt like I was reading a poem. That's just the way that Bradbury writes. But it did take me a few years and a couple of rereads before I realized that I'd been introduced to the concept of, of censorship or totalitarianism and the damages that it could inflict upon a society. And I learned... That society needs to have dangerous ideas explored and tested before they're discarded or acted upon. So let's start by taking a quick look at the story. Guy Montag is a fireman whose job it is to burn books. It was decided long ago that too much learning was dangerous, promoting ideas that society wasn't able to deal with, so now anyone who owns books is seen as a dissident. When they're discovered their homes are destroyed, hence the job of firemen, and they're imprisoned. Most members of society are only functionally literate, preferring to watch television, which has taken the place of real activity, which in turn has become more violent by nature, faster, riskier, more extreme, if you like. Anyway, one day Montag meets his neighbour, a girl called Clarice. She encourages him to look at the stars and smell flowers and have genuine conversations. She is seen as a dissident, with her entire family being monitored by the state. Montag falls under a spell because he himself has become a secret rebel. has begun to amass an illicit library of books. He also discovers that his wife has tried to commit suicide, but has no recollection of the attempt. Her dismissal of her inner turmoil and the complacent attitude shown to her by the medics or techs assigned to revive her highlight the cruelty and banality of this society. Montag begins to question what he does in the world he lives in, and these conflicts lead him to make decisions that he might not have dreamt of earlier. Decisions that, combined with other events in the wider world, could lead to the complete transformation or destruction of his society. Wisely, Bradbury ends Guy's Montag story at the beginning of this transformation. It is, after all, the story of his personal rebellion. The details of his future are left to our imaginations, and he eschews the epic rebellion that later writers would have devoted a trilogy or more to, and the book and its reputation are the better for it. Montag is not a conventional hero. He is physically brave and strong, but he wavers, and his choices are made out of necessity, and he's also physically sickened by the transformation he's undergoing, as any normal person would be. Pardon me. At the beginning of the book, he's a troubled individual who blindly accepts what he has to do despite the secret library he's been collecting. It's the actions of his wife and of Clarice and of his boss that finally force him to make the decisions. By the last page, though, he's still unsure of himself and what he has to do, but he has become stronger and more assertive and more willing to take the risks that his old self would have rejected. He no longer exists in his world. He lives in it and takes part in it. A recent reread of it found it to be just as powerful as when I first read it nearly 40 years ago. We've had governments that are angry at efforts by people to question them. We have an homogenized society that doesn't like people to be different. We have news bulletins devoted to product launches while important events are shunted into the background. And we've got a culture that celebrates and reifies the new or the expensive and the startling for startling's sake. It's a novel that talks to me about problems in our society. When it was written, it was heralded as a warning of what society could become. Like Arthur Miller's Crucible, it could be read as a parable of the McCarthyism that was wreaking havoc through the intellectual and not so intellectual circles of the time. Or, as Bradbury intended, you could look at it as an extension of the anti-intellectualism that swallowed a lot of common sense in academic circles a few decades ago. The sort of literacy as a symptom of a decaying patriarchal Caucasian society that we joke darkly about, only to find it replaced by the distrust of experts that's cropped up in recent years. Bradbury himself said it wasn't about censorship, rather it was about what happens when people become more interested in the mass media, television, because it was the 50s, than they are in reading, or to paraphrase Aldous Huxley, being more interested in feeling rather than thinking. But now, more than 70 years after its publication, it's even more timely. I mean, let's take a look at it. It's got a hero called Guy, who makes you think of just an ordinary person, but it also reminds you of Guy Fawkes, who was another person who'd used fire to try and change his society. And even in the years after September the 11th, the idea of a fireman as a hero did have a certain frisson of relevance to it. But the worth, so it's a book that just keeps on remain remaining relevant because our world will always have some kind of similarity to Bradbury's vision. So it's got a, vi- a story and a message that remains readable and of course relevant. If you'd like some more stuff Ian likes, you can read more at stuffianlikes.com and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Stuff Ian Likes, which is all one word, or you can go to Facebook to the Stuff Ian Likes page. That's three words. Thanks for listening.